Hey y'all, welcome to the Marty Smith Podcast here at Outsider Studios in Nashville. Awesome show for you guys here today with Rhett Akins, who of course, y'all know him from That Ain't My Truck. You know he's Thomas Rhett's dad, but what you may not know is that he came straight here to Outsider Studios from learning that he was to be inducted into the Nashville Songwriter Hall of Fame. That'll happen in November, but he just learned that news today. He's had an amazing path to a tremendous career as a songwriter, as we say, he's now a Hall of Famer. Here's Red Akins on the Marty Smith Podcast. It is amazing to me that I am sitting here right now with the guy who, what, let's see, as we sit here about 75 minutes ago, Mm -hmm was informed that he has now been, I know you get inducted in November. What's the right word? You're not, not you're past nominated. Yeah, I'm you're in. in. Yeah. The Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. Yeah. Rhett Akins, congratulations. Thank you. Okay. What are your, what do you think about this? What are your emotions it's, about this? It's, uh, they're all over the map, man. This is something. Well, I didn't even know there was a Hall of Fame when I was growing up. You know what I mean? It's not something I strive to be in. Uh, I just wanted to to make other people feel the way Hank Jr. made me feel when I was 13 and I heard Country Boy Can't Survive. I wanted, some, I wanted to make somebody feel what Merle Haggard made me feel when he sang, um, you know, Mama Tried. Uh, uh, Hank Williams, Willie, Waylon. Like those are the guys that made me want to sing and want to write and to know now that I'm in the same class in the Hall of Fame with those guys is something that I never, never dreamed of, but it's uh it feels really good. I know right before we came in you called your son. Mm-hmm. What, what, well he what? called me. Oh he, he was mad. What was he making that he didn't know? He didn't know. <laughs> they swore me to secrecy that I wasn't supposed to tell anybody. So he called me and said Dad, are you in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> and I said, I am. And he goes, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> and, uh, and I said, it's not the official thing. You know, that's not till November. But uh, he, was, he just called me to tell me, you know, how proud he was. But, um, you know, he's just as big a part of it as, as me. So is Luke Bryan. So is Blake Shelton, Justin Moore, John Party, Dustin Lynch. I mean, I could name tons of artists that I wouldn't be here without them. I mean, they had to hear something in my song or we wrote a song together that made them want to record it and it became a big hit. And so, yeah, I, I have put in the work, but it took it took all those those guys to make it happen, you know, for me to, to get here. So I so they're just as much a part of this as, as me. There are very few moments in this life that stop time and make us pause long enough to really reflect. Mm-hmm. That has to be one yeah. of those moments. So as you're downloading this real time, again, this yeah. was an hour ago, mm-hmm. as you're downloading this real time, what stands out to you along that path that that you've thought about? Perseverance is the main thing. I'm talented, but I'm not, I, I don't consider myself the most talented musician on a guitar or piano or vocally, but... um I'm the I'm the I'm the walk on that got the scholarship. You know what I mean? I'm the I wasn't the the most, you know, 
the light shining on me. I, I really worked hard for where I'm at. And um, I know that growing up in Valdosta, Georgia, and playing football the way we played and the way we practiced is the reason that I never quit because I should have quit this a thousand times. I mean, there was plenty of exits along this route that said, get off here and go back home. Because it ain't, it ain't an easy road. I'm, I'm very thankful for the way I grew up, my parents, my grandparents, the way that they fought for what they wanted and the way I grew up playing football. Um, that really helped me stay in this game when I should have quit and gone home a, a whole bunch of times. When was the time that, that you were about to go? Uh, there's been a bunch. Um, uh, my last record deal that was like in 2005 and six just didn't go anywhere. And um, I was, uh, I remember getting a call. Well, I remember where I was gonna have a meeting at the record label about, all right, let's get together and let's make this thing work. And man, I, before I walked in that room, I prayed my heart out to God and I said, you know what I want. You know that I want this record deal to work. I said, but I don't know what you know. And if you don't want it to work, then don't let it. Your will be done. And I walked in that meeting, and it was the best meeting I've ever had in my lifetime. I walked out there going, thank you, God. This is We're rolling. And the very next day, the president of the record label called me and said, sorry to inform you, but we are dropping you. What was that phone call like? It was, it was like a knife in the gut. And I looked at God and said, you remember that part where I said, <laughs> your will be done? I didn't mean it. <laughs> like, I didn't think you were listening, you know? And uh, I was mad at God for about a month, you know, and I was calling my daddy and calling my brother and going, you know, I might be, I'm, I'm, I might be over this, you know? But I settled down and thought about it. And I was like, man, there ain't no way I can go home and listen to the radio and go, if I'd have just stayed, man, that I, I might could have wrote that song. My buddies wrote that song, and if I'd have been in Nashville with them, I'd have written it with them, and here I am, I quit, you know? Um, and so uh, I just I just sensed my belt up, and I said, you know what I've always been? I've always been a songwriter, and I love songs. And I said, and I'm going to do whatever I got to do. By God, they don't want me to sing them, I'll write them. They ain't going to kick me out that easy. You know, and so I, uh, I put my nose down, and and um, and here we are. All right, so let's walk through that evolution. We're, we'll go, we'll back up to the artist side in a minute. <clears throat> but, so, when did you come to the realization that the artist side was over? That was that, that when, when yeah he when I got it. that phone call. Done. I'm yeah. gonna go try to write. That's it. Yeah, because I'd been an artist since '95. I'd already, I mean, I'd been a full time making records on tour for already 10, 12 years b before this. And I was already um, kind of like, uh, I didn't love, I loved being on stage and I loved writing songs, but I didn't like the game. You know what I mean? I didn't like all the, you know, the, the what it, I mean, you don't realize somebody's schedule. I mean, when I look at Thomas Rhett's schedule, I was out with him on the road a couple of weeks ago and his manager was on the bus. They're planning things for 2027. You know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> It's like, I want to hunt and fish, yeah. man. I've been on this tour bus for 15 years. I wouldn't mind writing songs and hunting when I wanted to and, and fishing when I wanted to. And so even though it destroyed me at the same time, it, it freed me up 
to do what I'm doing now, and there would be no Thomas Rhett if, my, if that record deal would have worked. I know it wouldn't have. God put me over, over here so that I could do this, and that created a path for Thomas Rhett to do that. And so I'm way more happy doing what I'm doing now than but I had some great times. I mean, I was on tour with Reba McIntyre and Toby Keith and and uh, Dixie Chicks and John Michael Montgomery and Tracy Lawrence and everybody in the world you could want to be on tour with. And the cool thing now is, is I still tour when I want to. Mm -hmm. I just played a show with Tom Shrett last weekend. I'm going to Wyoming tomorrow, um, and I'm playing with him at Cheyenne Frontier Rodeo awesome. next weekend. And I still go on the road with Luke Bryan, and I play the farm tour. Me and the Peach Pickers to Dallas Davis and Ben Hayslip, we opened the show for Luke. So I still get to do the, the singing side of it when I want to. You know, so it's still cool to, to be able to do all of it. How did your decision to step away from performing full time uh -huh. open the door for Thomas? And at what point did you realize that was the facts? Yeah, well, he never, I mean, he's he had always been on stage with me as a kid, but it was just because he, well, my dad, whose dad's not a singer? You know what I mean? This ain't a, what do you this ain't a big deal. Oh, yeah, I'll go out there and sing a song with my daddy. and um, So he would come on the road with me and all this kind of stuff. Um, but he, I never saw that he wanted to pursue that. Um, so, But when I became a full-time writer, Thomas Rhett was in college at that point, and he needed an internship to get his uh, to finish his classes. And he said, Dad, can I intern where you write? And I said, yeah, just go have a meeting, you know, with the guy. And um, so TR goes in there and has a meeting, and he walks out. And I said, how'd it go? He goes, it was good. I think, I think it's going to work out. So then the guy, Ben Vaughn is his name, he comes out of the room, and he goes, I said, how'd it go? He says, your boy's a superstar. And I said, Thomas Rhett's a superstar. I said, he just went and interviewed for an internship, <laughs> like, did he sing? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And he goes, he goes, I've been in this business long enough. And he goes, in 10 minutes with talking to your kid, there is some, I, I know that that kid is a star. Wow. And I said, how? He goes, I just know. I don't know how I know. I just know. He said, does he write and does he, does he sing? And I said, yeah, he's done it his whole life, but, but just kind of kidding. You know, he wasn't doing it for real. He's trying to graduate college and be a, orthopedic surgeon or something you know <laughs> and he said let me let me uh, see what i can he goes he said uh what's he gonna do this summer i said he's probably gonna go back to georgia and work for my brother and uh he goes let me see if i can scrape up maybe a couple hundred dollars a week or something and see if he can write songs because there's something about your boy i said okay and six months later jason aldean recorded uh ain't ready to quit and Thomas Shred had been writing songs professionally for like six months. And so me becoming the songwriter is what opened the door for Thomas Shred to go get the internship, which turned into, I think your boy's a star. <laughs> to entertainer of the year last yeah, year. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah. It's remarkable. Uh, what's it like to be a dad? Like just remove the, remove the industry knowledge part of it. Just be, being dad to see him in that way yeah i don't see him in that way at all yeah. i mean people are always like well you gotta be proud of thomas red <laughs> well i saw thomas red the other night on something and i'm like yeah well i just i just chewed him out five minutes ago because he because <laughs> he forgot that we were supposed to eat dinner this week you know at my house or whatever you know so i never i know that these are these things but to me he's always 
the uh, the ten year old that that want to go to the mall or want to get a skateboard. I mean, he's just like I just don't see him in that light like other people do, and I'm glad I don't because I'm. Uh, I told him, I said, you, you're entertainer of the year and, and you're all these things to everybody else, but you're my son and I'm your daddy. And no matter what you do in life, that's what that's who we are. And we are buddies and we are friends, but I'm still I'm still his daddy and you're still my son. You know, that's that's I don't care what you do in the music business. It's the best. That's, yeah, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. um, let's back way up here. Uh, you're talking about football and the influence. Uh, tell me about your career. What kind of career did you have? Man, I was pretty good. I mean, I wasn't Justin Fields. I wasn't uh, Peyton Manning, but I was I was good. But I was five ten and a half, you know, and 165 pounds <laughs> playing quarterback. But I, you know, I played in. I grew up in a town where winning meant everything, you Love know. That, and so, uh, just I mean, the coaches that we had when I grew up would be fired in two hours. There's no way that our coaches in the eighties could could would could keep a job. Because I mean, I won't say what went on during the practices. It wasn't anything ruthless, but it was hard. It was like the Marines, and it was like you got knocked down, and if you don't get up, we're gonna move the huddle over two feet, and we're gonna run the play again while you lay there. Yeah. You know, you ain't getting no water. <laughs> there were times when they would just take, well, they'd put us all on a school bus and drop us off on a dirt road and say, "We'll meet y'all at the at the other end," and it was ten miles. You know, it would pour in rain, cars would be coming down the road. Hey, can we jump in the back? We'd be in the back of a truck <laughs> laying down. But when a van, a van came riding down the road and we all, hey, pick us up. When we opened the door and it was the coaches. <laughs> so, um, it was tough. It was, uh, that's where I learned that to, that toughness is, um, can be a, can be an advantage. You know, if you, if you don't quit, you just don't quit this. Just show up tomorrow. I know today sucked and it sucked bad. And my arm feels like it's broke, and my shoulder hurts, and I think I might have a punctured lung. But uh, <laughs> which I did have a punctured lung, and um, we just got a flak jacket. We ordered a flak jacket and put it on. I remember playing against Moultrie Calcutt County High School. They knew I had a broke rib. Were they teeing off on it? Man, they did at first, but I just lowered. I was quarterback, but I if I even on a pitch, I'd get around in front and try to hit a linebacker. You know what I mean? And I think they respected it because I remember I got tackled one time and one boy said, man, you all right? And I said, why? He goes, you got a broke rib, don't you? I said, I do. He goes, you tough, man. You tough. And so uh, that's just the way we grew up. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing, but I just know that it helped me in my life to persevere. Um, that just because it's bad right now don't mean it's going to stay bad. You just got to keep going. It's the same exact <clears throat> dynamic I live. I grew up in a town, same town, Friday Night Lights. That's mm -hmm. what we were. It's the marquee social event yeah. of the week. It's the identity of the town. And I always say this. If you're first on Friday night, that allows your daddy to be first in the office on Monday morning. <laughs> you're exactly that, right. Like, it's a very important thing in the area where I grew up yeah. and obviously where you grew up. But I wonder how you carry that with, I know perseverance you said, but I carry Friday night with me every day. I'm a 45-year-old man. Mm -hmm. But I carry that with me all the time. Yeah. The idea that it, the demand to be the very best version of yourself mm -hmm. so that your brother beside you can be the very best version of himself yeah. and together unified, you can mm -hmm. do really special things. Yeah. I, I write with people all the time that didn't grow up the way we grew up. You know, they didn't play sports or anything. And I tell them stories about high school. And they're just... 
that you can see that they just kind of link. Like, tell me, tell me another story. Yeah. Like, they did not live that that life. I mean, just the life. Not even forget the games, the practice. I remember practice as much as I remember the games. My God, me too. The funny things that happened. You know, the crazy things. One boy got mad and chased the coach all around the field. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was like uh, um, the the camps. I mean, we literally spent the night at school. We slept in the lunchroom or the gym. They they had a semi truck load full of full of mattresses, and the door flapped open all year long. And when we get to school, y'all got in. It was like a mile. Go down there and get your mattress. When we'd all you know, hundred of us would have a mattress on our back. Walking back up to the gym, layer matches. My mama brought me a box fan. You know, I put it in front of my bed and <laughs> had a cooler full of Gatorade and and uh, and just the jokes that we told. I mean, we'd be. I mean, we practice. We put lights on the practice field. The touchdown club bought lights for the practice field so we could practice till midnight. We did not go home for two weeks. I mean, your pads stunk. Oh, like when you put your pads on the next day, they were soaking wet, wet and they smelled like a rat. You know, and you go out there and lay in that dewy grass. At dawn. <laughs> Up. Yes, down. Down. Yes. Spread them oh together, God. you know. I mean, it was uh, people throwing up out their face masks. You know, I remember all that more than I remember anything that happened in the games. I wouldn't trade it. I talked to Benny Pierce, who uh, played with me. He played. He, he got a scholarship to Auburn. He played at Auburn under Coach Dye and Reggie Slack and think Jeff Berger were the quarterbacks back then. He was the linebacker. But we, I haven't seen Benny Pierce since 1988. And we talked for three hours. Was it all, was all, it all football. about high school football? Yeah. All football. We laughed. We talked about every single thing that ever happened in, uh, in football. And Benny, so all my black friends on the team, that's where I really learned about rap. And, yeah. you know, I mean, on the team bus was just a boom box. You know, you know, it was Run DMC, it was LL Cool J. So y'all are definitely listening to Rob Bass in nineteen eighty eight. That well that was at Georgia. When I was in a locker oh, okay. room in Georgia, Tim Worley played that song every single day. Good one, man. Still a good one. It's yeah, but we one. would be I mean, we as as country as I was, because I was Hank Jr. and Leonard Skinner and and all that, but I learned all about LL and Run DMC and Eric B and Rockham and all them from all the black my black buddies on the team. And that we had the best time of our life. And man, I swear to God, I know we lived in South Georgia in the 70s and 80s. There was no black and white when we played ball. There was, I mean, we went out together on Friday nights. We spent the night together. We camped together. It was like my white friends and my, there was no color. We were, we were brothers for real. Yeah, I can relate. Same here. And, and it's, an ama it's just an amazing thing. I would. My coaches used to tell me, because I used to bitch, and I, one of my many jobs on our team was I held for field goals. I was the yeah. holder on the field mm -hmm. goal unit. And one time we were practicing field goals at the end of practice, uh, pregame. And I was bitching and wailing and moaning about, I just can't wait to get out of here. I want to go see my girlfriend. Mm -hmm. I want to go eat, whatever. And our coach, who was like, the the every team has that coach with the bike coaching shorts and you know Doing nut the huggers like and the whistle and the socks <laughs> and the spot built cleats he wears yep. like to the grocery store. Yep. <laughs> that guy's now the head coach of my high school. Anyway, he was my position coach, and he goes, "You need to shut up." He's like, "You don't get it. I would give anything to have one more yep. night." 
under those lights. Yep. And you're going to, I'm like, whatever, man. Again, if he wasn't right. I'm, I would go Give back. Give me one more. I would go one back. One more. I, would, I wrote a song for Blake Shelton called I Lived It. Mm-hmm. And I wrote that song. I would go back right. If you said you got to go to camp and it's going to be 110 every day, put me. Yep. Get me there. Give me my cleats. Let's go. The fun that we had, it was the most fun was after practice. We'd practice till 1130 or 12 and we'd take showers and we'd all walk back a mile back up to the school and we'd, everybody's dead, man. You're laying there and all of a sudden you hear Freddie Richardson over in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up, Freddie, man. We're trying to go to sleep. And Freddie's over there laughing. He'd be like, what is it, Freddie? And and I literally, I don't hardly remember anybody's real name. He was Freddie Fresh. There was Batman. There was No Neck, <laughs> Chuck Rose, Short Dog. What was yours? Uh, my rap name was the Honeycomb Kid. And uh, why? You're never gonna believe this. Why? So me and Ben Hayslip, that I still write songs with, he's Jam Master B. We were the Beastie Boys before Beastie Boys. I was Honeycomb Kid. He was Jam Master B. And I was playing baseball, and I went up to the plate, and they said, up next, number one, the center fielder, the honeycomb kid. <laughs> and my daddy came out of the stands. He said, what? Did they call you? I said, don't worry about it, Dad. It's it ain't nothing. <laughs> my, my daddy was like, he's the what? Why but, were you the honeycomb kid? I don't know how I came up with that. I just, I guess I ate honeycomb Cheerios when I was a kid. <laughs> I was little. But, uh, but, yeah, we'd sit there and practice, you know, and, and – uh, Freddie would start laughing and he'd be like, no neck. Man, y'all house so dirty. Man, y'all's roaches be riding doom buggies. You know, and and then everybody's dying laughing, you know, and everybody's your mama, no, your mama course. jokes. And yep. co- if y'all don't shut up, we're going to run till I get tired. You know, all right, coach, we good. And then, you know, we all... <laughs> you, you know, you hear Batman over in the corner laughing and, you know, you know, uh, y'all house so cold, your heaters be wearing blankets. You know, like, it just went on. And that was my life, really, growing up, playing ball. Me too. Uh, how, so you talk about writing a song for Blake. Mm-hmm. How often when you're writing, especially with Dallas and with and Ben, yeah. How much? How often do y'all just go nostalgic and, and every start, day? It's every, that's, that's sort <laughs> well, of your first operating of all, Dallas, procedure. Dallas has to give us the new scouting report on Georgia. Dallas has got some kind of end that I don't know about. Is he's he like, lunatic? He's like, hey, he we got, lunatic? hey, we got a, uh, we got a five star. He's, I can't tell you who he is, <laughs> but he's about to decommit from Bama. You know, I don't know how he gets his his info, but we'll sit there and watch ESPN, you know, for an hour and, and, and then, all right, let's go eat something. We, we, it's two o'clock. We haven't even started the song yet, but the, most of our songs do wind up being small town, uh, dirt road, cornfields, um, ball, church, family. Um, that's just, that's what we lived and that's what we know, you know? I mean, we can write songs outside of that, but that's what makes us feel good about mm-hmm. the song. It's like, Dang, man. Like, we, we did it today, boy. We, when we get chills on our own song, you know, somebody said something that cut you, you know, that took you right back there to that first kiss or last kiss or first beer, whatever it was. Um, we, uh, I guess because we all grew up, Dallas is from Albany, Georgia. I'm from Valdosta. Ben lived in Valdosta but moved to Augusta 
But we all grew up in the same environment, and I think when we all got together, it was like speaking a language that mm -hmm. we understood. And somebody from California or Ohio or whatever might not, if they were writing with us, be like, I don't even know what that is. Is that another language? Yeah. I, w I wrote with a boy. He was from Minnesota. And the song was kind of going slow. We were kind of not getting much sort of with it. I said, we'll get it, man. I'm just whittling on it. And um, he said, you're doing what? What? I said, I'm just whittling on it. He goes, I don't know what that means. I, you like whittling? I'm, I'm, I'm get, we're getting there. Just give me time. We'll, we'll get to it. And another boy asked me, one, he texted me one day and said, what you doing? I said, I'm just piddling around. And he said, what? <laughs> <laughs> he said, what does that mean? And I said, nothing. Nothing. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Tinkering. Tinkering. Yeah. Messing around. <laughs> uh, it's always cool to have success, of course. But it's so much cooler when you're doing it with your buddies like that. Yeah, it's awesome. That's that's the ultimate period. Yeah, John Party just called me and was just like, dude, man, congratulations. You know, it's it's uh they're not just people that you write with and then all right, see ya. You know, we, we call each other, we text each other, we hang out when we can and um yeah, it's not just to get in, you can't get in a room with somebody and bare your soul and then they just go, "All right, buddy, thanks." Right. You know what I mean? It bring it, you bring it brings you close to close together. Um and so but it is cool to know that Ben and I met on the baseball field when we were in 8th grade and we started writing songs in the dugout. Um Really? Yeah. We have videos in 1984 of he and I singing Country Boy Can Survive. Um we made up little skits. Uh, we we did some Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair Gods. reenactments, and um, but yeah, it's son of a plumber. Yeah, to let me tell you something, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the American Dream. Um, we watched wrestling. So did we, man. My granddaddy. We didn't get cable. We didn't get TBS where I grew up. But my grandma. Did you never get it before you left? I got it in like tenth grade. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere in there, but I had to go to my grandma's house to get... Oh, she yeah, had it earlier. At 11.05, the Braves versus... Yes. It was always 11.05, 11.35, yes. 10 days of the Duke. Yes, man. I watched Little Rascals. I watched... Um, Andy Griffith. Andy Griffith, which I still watch every night. Um, but um, so my grandma, I, when I spent the night with my grandma, we watched Hee Haw, and we watched Lawrence Welk, and then we watched wrestling. Wrestling. And my granddaddy, legit was like thought this was i mean he, if i wasn't there he'd call me and go you boy you missed it tonight he goes dusty got him out in the parking lot you know <laughs> magnum ta he got him with a chair and this was i guess this was gordon Soley wrestling this wasn't uh was it mid-atlantic or this, NWA? Was, this was georgia georgia championship wrestling okay. gordon Soley was the host and we had like mr wrestling number one and two and um we had rick flair and dusty and um they, I think they kind of moved around. There was Florida yeah, wrestling. There was Mid Atlantic too in Charlotte. Yeah, and so uh, I mean, I just remember, you know, my, my granddaddy took me to see Abdullah the Butcher and um, Andre the Giant when I was like eight, and then uh, Fabulous Thunderbirds and uh, Wildfire Tommy Rich and Junkyard Dog. Awesome man. My granddaddy took me to those two. Do you have photos? Not of not we didn't, we didn't have cameras, but <laughs> yeah. um, and then when I remember when I was seventeen, we drove to Tallahassee and we the main event was Dusty and Rick and it was uh, Lex Luger and Sting, 
the sheep herders and Dude, like legends the, and the uh the mulky the mulkies got beat every they, yeah. they always had somebody that was, that was going their job was going to lose <laughs> yeah, you know? that was their job. yeah but i grew up in all that man and i had rick flair's number uh i, I played with brantley gilbert in charlotte and we're, Brantley's coming off the stage, and I see Ric Flair, and I went, "Woo!" And Rick turned around and did it back. Dude, he loves it. And dude, and we just chest bumped, and we hung out the rest of the night. He gave me his phone number, and one of my favorite things I've ever gotten to do in my life. A couple years ago, I got sent on this 48-hour tour around the after the NCAA tournament bracket was announced. Yeah. And I went to Duke and North Carolina, but I, one of our stops was Murray State when Ja Moran, mm -hmm. when Ja was at Murray State. Well, little did I know that Murray State's head coach, he's around our, our age, he thinks Ric Flair is God, like he loves Ric Flair. <laughs> well, I've known Rick for a long time. I FaceTime Flair and just hand the phone yeah. to the And if you FaceTime Ric Flair, he answers most yeah. of the time. <laughs> so he, he's like, what are you doing? He's like, who the hell is this on my phone? I'm like, Rick, I'm like, Nate. He loves you. And he's like, oh, and he spent all this time. And that coach's face was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm talking to Nature Boy. I love The it. best, man. is the best. I love it, Nature Boy. Uh, so going to Georgia, mm -hmm. uh, you got beat up pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. What Not as bad as high school, I will say. I you guess the, I high guess school was worse. High school was worse. I guess because you got all these scholarship players, they don't want beat up, you know. But we did get after him. I and I was on scout team. I was scout team quarterback, scout team safety. And so, you know, Gold, Bill Goldberg was the nose guard, and so he pretty much perfected his moves on me, <laughs> his future wrestling moves. Um, on defense, I was trying to tackle Tim Worley and Rodney Hampton and Keith Henderson and, um, and, and Coach Dooley. You know, that was his final season. So I, it was so cool to be able to play for Coach Dooley because my granddaddy played at Georgia, and he and Coach Dooley were really good buddies from the 60s on. And um, uh, it was a it was an awesome time, but uh, I was ready. I knew after the first year of playing, this wasn't where I was headed. You know, I was playing guitar in the dorm rooms. I was starting to play guitar at frat parties, and um, just wasn't. I just knew this ain't this ain't where I'm where I'm headed. And so school was over. Yeah. And when did Nashville? Two years in? later. Two years later, yeah. you move here. Yeah. I moved, I went, yeah, I went back to Valdosta, worked for my daddy for a couple of years, and then I was uh, playing guitar on the and week, weekends, and then um, moved here in 92. Yeah. Thomas Rat was, he had, he was, he had just turned two years old. So it was crazy. It was like absolutely the dumbest move I ever made was to move to Nashville. It was like on paper, like, you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you well, know? It worked out. Everybody's right. like, what? You know, you're moving to Nashville to sing? You know, when we know you play guitar, you know, here at the house and on the back porch, but you, you're going to go, like, do it, do it. And I was like, yeah. I said, I don't want to be 80 and look back and, and wish I – I said, I'd rather go up there and fall flat on my face love it. than to know that I never tried it. You know? I love it. Mm -hmm. Well, you have – I mean, you, you come out, your first record's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have all this commercial success. Yeah. You're in a duster throwing footballs into <laughs> ravines for reasons I still don't know. Do you know yet? So Travis Denning has a new video out. Y'all check out Travis Denning. It's called Abby, and he's recreating 90s, he really? 90s videos, and he takes the football oh out of the truck God, and throws awesome. it off the cliff that is in imitation amazing. of the That Ain't My Truck video. And he does Kenny Chesney and Toby in the video, but it's pretty. he does a pretty good 
pretty good job of it. What was that song for you? How, what was the impact on your life? It's still, it's still, no matter what I've written, I've written some big songs, and still, I'm known as, if you, you know who Red Aikens is? I don't know what's, you ever heard Boys Around Here? Maybe. You ever heard, you know, Hunt and Fish and Love It Every Day? I think, you ever heard that name of truck? That's him. <laughs> like, for some reason, that song was big in its time, and then it should have just petered out. And it's it, timeless, man. It should have just petered out, and that would have been a song, you go, oh, yeah, that was a 90s song. For some reason, now it's 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 gone into the cover band world. Yep. So when you make it in between Sweet Home Alabama and Brown Eyed Girl <laughs> and Wagon Wheel, then something's going on. I think that ain't my truck is more popular now than it was when it came out. I don't how, know why. But yeah, but how? What's that like when these young kids, they're kids mm-hmm. now, come yeah. when they're either singing it to you mm-hmm. or they're letting you know what that meant to them? Yeah, it's crazy because t- it's the same feeling I had when I met Hank Jr. or Waylon or or Willie, it's, I'm sitting there with them going, you don't know what your songs meant to me. And it's weird when a young, cause I write with a lot of kids that could that could be my kid. Mm-hmm. They're 20 to 25 years old, these kids that are moving to town and I'm 51. And so I'm the, the old guy in the room now, but they're telling me, man, I play that in my truck every night in my show, you know, or, or I play this song or that song. And um, so it is a weird, feeling to know that now I'm the one that's being told about my songs instead of me telling them about their songs. It's, you know? it's a timeless song, but man, don't get me started. Yeah. That one gets forgotten. It does. That, but yeah. damn, it's amazing. I, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Well, well didn't I, it, wasn't it a number yeah, one? Yeah, it was number one. I yeah. So. And we Yeah, so I, I still play some shows, um, and that's back in the set. That ain't, I Break for Brunettes is another I lo- one. I Break for Brunettes. Yeah. Um, I love it. Yeah, we play... Um, Old Dirt Road that was on the first album. Uh, uh, I'm starting to put, because I didn't think anybody cared about, I mean, I knew they liked That Ain't My Truck and stuff, but I was like, they don't want to hear something else off the album. So I started doing all these shows, and I got all these complaints every night. Like somebody would send me an email or something and go, hey, man, I loved you last night, but man, why didn't you play Katie Brought My Guitar Back yeah, Today? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, don't nobody know that. And he's like, yeah, they do. I do. Yeah, I played with Thomas Rhett in Europe. We played seven nights in a different country, and we were in Amsterdam, and I was sitting there playing my songs, and a guy drove all the way from Italy to Amsterdam to see us play, and he he just kept holding his hand up like this all night. And I said, hey, buddy, I said, you've been waving at me. I goes, do you not? I don't know an Italian <laughs> accent. He's like, do you know, play Katie brought my guitar back no today. Way. And I'm like, I don't even remember how it goes. You know? <laughs> but I'm learning that, um, you know, as an artist, there's songs that you don't think matter. You just like, well, that was the seventh song on the album. Nobody cared about that. You don't realize how many people listen to every song on the album for years and they want to hear that song. Just like me, when I go to a concert, I'm like, it, they were great, but man, they didn't play. Yeah. Hear it all the time. They, they didn't play this because they don't because the artist doesn't think that the crowd because it wasn't a huge hit or whatever they think well nobody cares about the song but they don't realize that people invest themselves in the whole album at least they did when we were growing up nowadays it might be just more song by song but when i was growing up you had to put the thing on the turntable yeah. you weren't getting up every two seconds and moving the needle the whole album played in the cassette yeah Mm-hmm. I'm a nerd about cassette. I love cassette yeah. tapes. I love yeah. the whole experience of the yeah. sleeve mm-hmm. and the lyrics on there yeah, and the liner too. notes. I love everything about me too. that experience. Yeah. When you met Hank, I, well, 
Oh, I want you to give me that story. What, what, what was the moment? Where were you? What did he say? Hey, cousin, Man, what did he I say? I can tell you where I was at. I was at the Renaissance Hotel in Nashville, and there's this thing called CRS. It's the Country Radio Seminar, where all the DJs and program directors come to town. And all the artists, everybody's there because they want to make good impressions with their new songs or whatever. And so I'm, I was told that Hank was at the bar. He was, and I saw him. He was sitting with Eddie and Troy. Oh, was he? And awesome. Toby Keith. He was sitting with Montgomery Gentry and, and Toby. And I was like, I ain't no, I ain't walking over there, you know. But his manager, I don't know if you ever heard of Merle Kilgore. He was Hank's oh, right. manager yeah, forever. And he was one of sure. those managers like Colonel Tom Parker, where the manager was as famous as the artist. Yeah. And he was a character. And he wrote Ring of Fire. And, wow. uh, and, uh, and he talked like this, brother. And he had big rings. Yep. And you, and, you know, you'd say, how you doing, Merle? He goes, are you kidding me? How do you think I'm doing, brother? And so uh, he knew I wanted to meet Hank. And so he, he came over there and he said, he said, Bocephus awaits you, my friend. And I said, I said, Merle, I want to meet him bad. And I said, but I know he's over there at the bar and I don't know if he's been drinking. I just want it to be good. I don't want to, if this is a bad time, he goes, the time is now, brother. And we walk over and we walk over there and Hank's, you know, kick back with a cigar and he goes, Bocephus, we have a new friend. And Hank's like, oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, he goes, sit down, you know. And I was like, oh God, like I'm about to have a Chris Farley moment. Like <laughs> on Saturday Night Live where he interviews Paul McCartney. Yeah. And all I wanted to do was like, remember when remember when you that wrote, was awesome. Remember when you wrote Country Boy yeah. Can't Survive? That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> But something just told me not to talk about music. And I just said, uh, hey, man, you been, you killed any turkeys this year? And he goes, have I killed any turkeys? Pulls his phone out and just goes to swiping. And that was, that was, the, that was the click right there. And all we talked about for the next hour and a half was deer and turkeys and fishing. No music mentioned whatsoever. I was in, I was in heaven. Like, I, I was like, you don't know how many days, months, and years that I have sat in my bedroom and listened to you or been in my truck and listened to you and I'm sitting here right beside you, you know, and we're talking about hunting and fishing. And uh, he gave me his phone number and... Um, What's that like? He gave me his phone How number. How often have you used it? Uh, well, I waited about three weeks. He gave me his phone number, said, if you ever want to come hunt and fish, holler at me, you know, so... Uh, he gave me his number, but I didn't want to be, we call it germ. We, we call it a germ in Nashville. A germ is somebody who's just an uber fan, who just. Fanboy? Just fanboy. Yeah. Bad fanboy. So I'm like, I'm not going to germ, Hank. You know, he gave me his number. I'm, I'm also going to let that breathe for a while. I'll find the right moment to call him. And so sure enough, the right moment was when I was drinking beer with my friends. Shocking. <laughs> and you know how it is when you go, hey, y'all want to call, y'all want to call Hank? And they're like. You don't know Hank. And I'm like, boom, shit. What's, what's that say? Bo Cephas. And so we were turkey hunting and we'd been drinking. And uh, I just got the nerve up to call Hank and call him up. Yeah. <laughs> what's up, Hank? And I'm thinking he's got my number in his phone. He knows, he knows who I am. Yeah. What's up, Hank? What's going on, buddy? And just silence. It's like Barney Fife calling Juanita at the <laughs> barn. 
five. <laughs> and uh, he's just, it's just silence. And my friends are like laughing, you know. And I said, this is Rhett. Akins, I met you, met you a few weeks ago, and you gave me your phone number. Said to call you, you know. Yeah. Well, what's been going on, man? All just sitting here at the cabin, like no banner. What I mean, it was just to the point. And I said, well, hey, man, I didn't want to bother you. I was just gonna call you. I said, me and my buddies are uh, turkey hunting, and we've listened to Whiskey Bent and Hellbound CD about ten times today, and I just wanted to call you and. And I said, man, do you know how many people have ridden around listening to you? And Hank goes, millions, brother. <laughs> <laughs> and you hear the phone click. No, click. That yeah. was it. That was the conversation. <laughs> I was like, woo, yes. I told y'all, you know what I mean? And um, <laughs> and then the next thing you know, like a week or two later, Hank's, Hank calls me, you know, and I'm running around. Look. Yeah. And so uh, he's like. Come out to the house, you know. So I started going out there a bunch and hunting and fishing with him and um, fixing my scopes or you know whatever. He he was he was like the most knowledgeable. He's like the best uncle you ever have. Awesome. You know what I mean? Knows everything about fishing, everything about hunting, everything about guns, everything about civil war, everything I was interested in. And so I mean, I just I remember this vividly. I just remember he's like, let's go get something to eat. So. I just, I remember vividly riding down the road and I just look over and I just go, Hank Williams Jr. is sitting in my truck <laughs> and we're going to get something to eat. Like, this is th like, thank you, God, you know? What about Waylon? Did you meet Waylon? Waylon, uh, I met him real briefly. He was really sick. I met him at the airport and he was in a wheelchair. But I did, I've, I've had two really good encounters with Merle and Willie. What are they? You got time? I got nothing but time. <laughs> Merle, um, I'm in Vegas playing with Reba at the MGM Grand, and um, Merle's playing downtown, like at the Sands or one of the old classic hotels. Might have been where Frank Sinatra always played. And my my record exec knew knew Merle and knew his sons, and he's like, "Let's go, let's go hang out with Merle," you know. So here's this is another, you know, like what, you know. And so we go to Merle's hotel room. And uh, there's like 50 people in this. It's a suite, but it ain't a big suite. There's 50 people in there. Everybody's drinking and smoking. There's two little kids running around. They're like five and seven. That's Merle's kids. Merle, in the midst of all this chaos, is sitting at the table eating soup. <laughs> <laughs> He's just sitting there eating soup with everybody drinking and smoking. And and so finally he gets through eating, and, and uh, we go sit on the couch, and Merle's like, you singer? I said, yes, sir. And he grabs his guitar. Oh, wow. I'm like, oh, no. You know? And at that time, That Ain't My Truck was the song, was the single that I had out at the time. So that's what I sang him. And he's like, that's pretty good, boy. You know? And um, so then we, uh, he gets dressed and we ride the elevator with him down to the gig. And uh, right before we get out, my record rep says, well, Merle, good to see you, man. And thanks for hanging out. And you got any advice for Rhett, you know, what you got for us? And Merle sat there and he said, advice, hmm. I got some advice for you, boy. He said, don't keep your dope and your change in the same pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. And he signed an autograph for my brother because my brother was a big Merle Haggard fan, but that was, a, that was an awesome experience. Um, and then Willie, 
It was at the CMA Awards when they used to be at the Opry. And uh, I was backstage with the Warren Brothers, who are two fam great songwriters and singers. And next thing you know, Willie just walks out and just standing there beside us. It's just us and Willie. I don't know him, never met him. Hey, Willie. <laughs> He's like, how y'all doing? And uh, I said, hey, uh, I know Toby just put that song out that said, uh, I'll never smoke weed with Willie again. I said, and I don't smoke pot. I said, but. I mean, I will tonight. I will. I, I will if, if if you'd like to. <laughs> and I was kidding, really. You know, um, Willie goes, I can make that happen right now. And so he just turns and starts walking to the bus, and we're standing there like, is he serious? And he walks up on the bus and leaves the door open. And so I get, I said, let's go. So we walk up on the bus. I wasn't on the bus two seconds, and somebody, wow. And I was like, and I really, I'm not, a, I'm not a pot smoker. Um, but I was like, I have to, I have to do this. And so I just sat there and did it. And um, I, I do remember vividly wanting to go to White Castle bad, <laughs> like about 30 minutes later. And um, were yeah. you just wrecked? I was, I think, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I remember saving it and took it home and put it in, a, in my drawer or something. I wanted to keep it. I don't I don't know where it is. I'm, I need to try to dig through something and find it. But I just thought that that was just, I mean, it was like Willie didn't care. It wasn't like he was trying to be Willie. He, he wasn't trying to be anything, but just a human being. And he walked out there and said hey to us, and yeah, yeah, come on up. And he was so cool. You know, didn't put on any airs or anything. He was just Willie. All right, real quick. Cool. And more. I did call my mama. What'd she say? I said, Mama, I got to tell you something. And I said, you're going to be mad at me, but I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't be. And I said, I did. I did inhale <laughs> with Willie Nelson. And I'm calling to tell you I did it. And I'll never do it again. But I just had to tell you that I did it. What did Mom say? She was like, well, I don't like it. But, I mean, it was Willie. <laughs> I mean, there's always context. Exactly, right? yeah. There's always context. <laughs> I'll get you out of here. I know your phone's blowing up. You got a lot of people to talk to. So, <clears throat> Casey Bethard was mm -hmm. in here interviewed him for the same podcast and I shared with him the story you told me on the phone a couple of days ago about hearing Leonard Skinner Jones wanting to throw your phone mm -hmm. in the toilet and flush it and just leave town right he was very grateful because the ultimate compliment in your job is when your peers mm -hmm. go I couldn't have done it. right that's something I don't know if I could have done yeah what's that like for you when you're having all this success earlier in the in the conversation you're mentioning all these artists who helped you get to mm -hmm. this place. Yeah. But you have to remember, Rhett, you helped them get to this place. Mm -hmm. It's a cool, familial yeah. thing. What's it like for you inside to have that kind of respect from your peers and from those artists? It's awesome, it means the world. Um, you know, we all wanna write something that changes the world or uh, just affects a lot of people and they're very hard to you know to come by there are there are some artists out there that seem to do it all the time um, but uh, it's so cool like especially for the song I lived it was one that we wrote for no reason uh, we didn't even care if anybody cut it we wrote it because we wanted to write it um, it's like I don't think anybody will cut this It's slow as country to country for country radio but let's write the dog piss out of it for us you know what i mean and and that's what that's why it worked it wasn't because we tried to write a hit we didn't write we didn't concoct some some story 
to try to think that that's going to make somebody impressed by it. We wrote to the bone how we grew up. And the next thing you know, hey, man, Blake loves this song. And Blake calls me, you know, and he's like, man, you you said how I grew up in this song, you know. And so when you write something that's truly, truly from the heart and other people go, man, that you you did it. That That's why I moved to town. I didn't move to town for the money or the awards or anything like that. I moved to town because I wanted to say something that would make other people feel something. So this might be then redundant. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close <clears throat> on this. You got, I'm going to use the word inducted, whatever. Mm -hmm. You're past the nomination yeah. stage. We're calling it inducted in the Songwriter Hall of Fame today. So you can, even though you're still in it, begin the process of considering legacy. You may have just said it right there. That's why I moved to town. Yeah. But what do you want the legacy to be? I don't want to stop. I really don't. Um, but Def Leppard said it's better to burn out and fade away. <laughs> um, I don't want to fade away. I either want to be done or I want to go after it as hard as I've gone after it up to this point. You know what I mean? I, w I want to. I love country music so much. I love country music when country music didn't love me. You know what I mean? I was like, I love Willie, Waylon, Merle, Alan Jackson, George Strait. Like, I, I, I cannot quit. Like, I, ha I want to be, I want one day, I want people to go, man, you, you wrote that song? You know what I'm saying? I, I did, you know? And I don't need it for the, I'm not trying to brag. I just, I just love music and country music so much that I want to keep the flame burning as long as I can keep it. For the young Red Akins that's sitting on his bed right now and can't hardly play a D chord because his fingers keep hitting the other string and go, hey, come on. I got the I got the torch. You just follow me. Come on. And then and then you'll you'll do the same thing for somebody else. Cuz we got to keep country music going. You know what I'm saying? That's the last bastion of the true heart and soul storytelling that we got. Beautifully said. And I'll just close here. It's very rare in this town to be universally liked. Yeah. And you are I don't know any everybody that I everybody I know in this town just Let's call adores, Luke Bryan real quick. <laughs> <laughs> just adores you, man, and it's because of your spirit, it's because of your sense of humor, it's because of your vulnerability as a writer and as a person, and that's a hell of a testament. And congratulations on the the induction. What an awesome testament to the body of work, and uh, I'm grateful for your friendship and your example. Well, thank but, you, man, and I want to congratulate you. you on your new endeavor here. Thank you, and. Uh, I've always watched you on TV way before I knew you, you know. I always thought you were genuine. Thank you. I always thought you really cared about the interview and the coaches and the players that you talked to. And always, it wasn't just a how was the game. You always dug, you got to the heart more in your interviews, I think, than I've seen in more in other uh, sports casters. Uh, you know, you really just, I think you you felt you had something. You knew, you studied him and knew about their life and really wanted to dig into it. So you're going to be around for a long time. You'll be in the Hall of Fame also in this genre. You heard it here first. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Yes, Appreciate sir. That. Thank you, bud. Cheers. Yes, sir. Hank, Waylon, smoking weed with Willie, Merle, eating soup with Merle. I told you guys he was a great storyteller and just a great person. Uh, as I said to him there at the very end of the show, very rarely in this town are you universally respected, appreciated, and downright liked. And Rhett has achieved that 
treating people so well and telling all those great stories and writing all those great songs. Really hope you guys appreciated our time with Rhett. We certainly did. This is the Marty Smith Podcast from Outsider Studios in Nashville. Thank you guys for listening.